Well, hey, good morning, Zion, and uh, good morning to those of you who are online. If you're new with us and you don't know me, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. We want to welcome you and thank you so much for being a part of what God is doing here this morning. Uh, we're in the, if you're not familiar with that video series, how many of you have ever seen The Bible Project? Phenomenal research, uh, resource, phenomenal teachings. Short, they do uh, great illustrations, and it's a great place to check it out. Um, we're in our new series called Awakening. What got you here won't get you there. And what we've been exploring is realizing that sometimes the Holy Spirit has blessed us in the past. But if we hold on to the past blessing, we sometimes miss out on the new opportunities, the new blessing that the Lord has for us. Those new moments where God is saying, hey, I've got something new. And what often got us to one place isn't enough to take us to the next place, whether it be in your, your life in general. I mean, think about when you're younger, the things that worked for you when you were a kid may not work for you as an adult. Or maybe in your marriage, there were things that when you first got married worked so well. But now that you're married and have kids and careers and all those things, now there are, there's new things that you need. And so we've been talking about and looking at what are the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And often when God does these new things, the Bible refers to it as new wine. In order to have new wine, we need new wineskins, new containers, new ways of holding on and seeing what God is doing. And we believe that God has been doing something here at Zion. And he's done amazing things at Zion in the past. And he continues to do new things. And so as we're looking at these last week, we talked about uh, the, the difference between an experience and an encounter. That experiences are predictable and safe. That with experiences, you can rate and collect experiences. You can be distant from the experience. Because at the end of the day, you are more of a spectator than a participant. Even coming to church, some of you are coming to church expecting an experience. And you want to stand back and you can rate that experience. It was a seven. The message was a three out of four. It's all about setting the bar low. <laughs> and that's the problem with experiences. Experiences, eventually you can become numb to an experience, right? I mean, I think about there were things that when you first had that encounter, because here's the thing, encounters are, are unsafe. They are unpredictable. But eventually that encounter just becomes another experience. I mean, I can think about my first kiss when I was 16 years old, Wanda Welding. I've talked about her before. I think about the, my, my kiss on my wedding day with my wife. And how many of you eventually a kiss just is something you do as you're leaving out the door with your spouse? You know, that what started off as an encounter can become an experience. God wants us to have not just experiences, but encounters. Encounters that change us, that shape us, that redefine us. And we shared the story of the woman at the well, and she didn't just have another experience. She had an encounter that changed her life and, and that it ultimately resolved around this issue of worship and that the point of worship, and I'm not just talking about music. I'm talking about everything we do as an opportunity to worship. Worship is meant to be an opportunity for an encounter with Jesus, not just another experience. Think about it this way. What if we saw every opportunity to worship Jesus, whether through, through song, through prayer, through listening to a message or a podcast or reading a book, having dinner with friends in the, the drive through line at McDonald's, maybe it's loving your neighbor. What if we saw every opportunity as an opportunity for a life-changing encounter with the Jesus who saves us, who loves us, who wants so much more for our lives than maybe we realize? All of a sudden, things can change. 
Well, this morning we're continuing to talk about awakening and we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be awakened to generosity. Now, I want to tell you we're not talking about money. Okay, this isn't a tithe message. This isn't, there's another money sermon, just give more money. Nope. Money is not the point of this. We're going to be looking at about being awakened to generosity. And what does that look like for us? So as we read our scripture this morning, would you stand with us, with me? 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and verses 10 through 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, so uh, Indy was about a year, a little over a year. We were, I don't remember if Eli had been born yet. Our kids are Irish twins, so people often think they are twins because they're so close in age and they look a lot alike. And uh, we had just started working at Community of Hope where I was the teaching pastor in Rosemount, Minnesota. And we had come back from an event, and again, I don't remember if Eli had just been born or he was about to be born, but we're somewhere around there. And we come into our house at night, and we open the door to find this huge towering pyramid of diapers. Like, it was like eight feet high of diapers. Well, because I'm five foot six, it was probably five foot eight of diapers. Because when you're five six, anything over five eight is huge. And so I remember seeing this. And here's the thing. If you've ever had a baby, diapers are worth their weight in gold. Like, they, babies go through diapers like toilet paper. You're just like, well, what the heck? Where did You have one bag, you're done. And we looked at this, and I was just overwhelmed by it. And there was a card attached. And this is all the card said. To the Miller's with love. That's all it said. We love you. And I called my pastor up and I said, hey, Pear, um, do you know anything about this? And he says, yep, I do. Now, one, I wasn't sure how they got into our house. Like, I thought, I thought we had better security than that. And all he said was there was a family member in our church who uh, felt that the Lord had called them to bless us with this and they wanted to be remain anonymous and they just wanted to show love and God's provision. This was an example of kingdom generosity. And I remember seeing that and going, wow, that is incredible, Lord. Well, a year before I came here, uh, we had just closed down our church in San Jose, a very painful moment. We ended up moving our family from San Jose where we had built friendships. Our kids had been in school. And, you know, there's that age when kids are real little. They don't really know their friends. But as they get a little bit older, they begin to encounter them. Well, my kids had started making friends and we ended up leaving San Jose and on top of that, uh, Lisa's mom had just died from cancer a few months earlier. And we picked up our life and we moved to Scottsdale to live with Lisa's dad while I was looking for a job. We started attending this church called Gateway in Scottsdale. It's connected to Gateway in Texas, a very big church. And uh, this was an incredibly loving church. And there I met the executive pastor, a guy named Brad Larson. And I, again, not on staff, I'm just a guy coming to church and and one day, we'd been there for a few months, we were on the Saturday night service, and I received a text. And the text had shared that a, a dear friend of mine had accidentally killed his son. And I broke down in tears. We're in Saturday night service walking in, and Pastor Brad walks up to me and he says, Jason, is everything okay? And I said, no, one of my closest friends just accidentally killed his son, and he wept with me. 
And he looked at me and he said, what can we do? And I said, well, I, you know, I just appreciate prayers. And he goes, no, 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 here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to cover your flight to go be with your friend and we'll pay for a hotel and a car, whatever you need to get there. This is so important. We, we're going to do this for you. Now, I wasn't on staff. I, I, wasn't, I was just a church member. And I remember these two experiences were more than just experiences. They were encounters. They changed my understanding of God's provision, my understanding of God's love, but also of the church. Now, you might be thinking, well, of course, Jason, I mean, you're a pastor, you, you do this, of course, people want to bless you. And, and here's the thing, if you're skeptical of this, I get it. I really do. I've been skeptical when I hear stories about God's generosity, God blessing people. I get it why you might be thinking, well, maybe that's, that's for you, Jason, but that won't happen to me. And let me tell you that I have more of these encounters and stories than I can tell you about today. And most of them were not because I was a pastor on staff, a professional Christian. There's one thing that everyone has in common, community. Because I had been a part of church. I had been made myself, I put myself in the path of an opportunity for God's blessing. And here's what I've discovered and what I want to share with you. Every single one of you in this room is actually, if you're saved, you've already received the most generous gift you can from the Lord, which is salvation. Amen. But God provides in more than that. And sometimes it's not even financial. Again, this isn't about money. Sometimes it's people loving you with their time or with their compassion or their tears. If you've ever walked through hardship, I remember, and I didn't share this first service, but when we found out Lisa's mom died from cancer, one of our friends drove to our house in the middle of the night and just wept with Lisa. An incredible, generous act of compassion. And the one thing that puts all these stories together is that we have a God who wants to generously bless us, who wants to bring his generosity because he is a generous God. But there's one thing that we must do in order to experience that generosity. We must put ourselves in the path of God's generosity. And it's usually through community. It's usually through the church, through relationships. Now, this morning, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that text that we read, because what I really want to do is I'm going to share a story that all of us are familiar with, but maybe, just maybe, God wants to open your eyes to see it a little bit differently. It's the story of loaves and fishes. How many of you guys know the story I'm going to talk about here, right? It's a very popular one in Sunday school where Jesus multiplies the loaves and fishes and feeds thousands. And this story, as I was praying and going, okay, God, what, do you, what, what should I do this morning? How do we approach this conversation of awakening generosity differently? So that it doesn't just come across as, well, here's another tithe message. You're, it's just about money. No, this is about awakening something us so much deeper than a pocketbook. It's something that God wants us to do. Now, here's the thing. There's one telltale sign of a man or a woman who loves and follows Jesus. It's generosity. And the reason is, is that once you've encountered, had an encounter with the generosity of God, with a generous God, you can't help but be generous yourself. Generosity awakens generosity. And for when I meet Christians who are not generous, usually where it comes from is they have not yet experienced or had a heart open to what God has done for them. And when you begin to see this, you'll see that God wants to do so much more in our world and in our lives than we can even imagine.
because we love and serve a generous king. Now, there are some stories in the Gospels. There's four, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the first four books of the New Testament, if you're not familiar with the Bible. And each of them have different stories. And every once in a while, you'll find a story that maybe is just in one gospel, but not the other three, because it's written from three different perspectives. Sometimes you'll see a story that's in two gospels. Rarely do you find a story that's in all four. The story of the feeding of 5,000 is actually found in all four gospels. And the fact is, is Jesus actually fed thousands more than once. We know for sure he did it twice. One was a group of 5,000 men. They didn't include women and children in their numbers at that point, which means that on the lowest estimate, assuming there was nobody there but men, it was 5,000. It's reasonable that it was actually closer to 10 to 12,000, maybe even higher, because how many of you have more than one kid? So Jesus didn't just feed 5,000. It could have been upwards of 15,000, 20,000. We don't know. Either way, it was something miraculous. And it's found in all four Gospels for a reason, because the story matters. And it's more than just another miracle that Jesus performs. It's actually there to show us something about God. To reveal to us something about the God we love and we serve and we worship. And when we, get it, when we begin to grasp it, it changes and has the opportunity to change everything. Check this out. Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, now real quickly, I want to stop there. Jesus has just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, not the guy who wrote the gospel of John, John the Baptist who baptized him in the river Jordan, who proclaimed his coming, that he had just been murdered by Herod. That he, he had been beheaded simply because Herod made a promise to somebody. This news, he hears this and it says, when he heard this, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, I have to make a correction here. Uh, last week, I said that the Sea of Galilee is actually about twice the size of Clear Lake. It's actually five times the size. So for you fact checkers, my apologies. I got bad information and I didn't check it out, but I'll own it. It's my fault. It's all good. It's actually five times the size. Either way, it's not nearly as big as you think. And Jesus has just found out really hard news. And I'm hearing this the crowds began to follow him on foot from their towns. Now check this out. Imagine you've just received really bad news and you've got to, you need some time away. You need alone time. And you hop on a boat. Imagine you're going in Clear Lake and you're on the boat, but the people see you. And so what do they do? They follow you along the edge of the shoreline waiting for you to stop. And all Jesus, if you're me and I'm sitting there going, seriously, people, can't you just give me a break? They're like toddlers when mom and dad has to use the potty. You know what I'm talking about? We all know that moment where you're like, can I just get five minutes in the bathroom, right? And you're just, daddy, 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 not now. Now, as a, as a grown man, sometimes I just use extra time and do nothing in there other than just sit there and have some quiet time. Jesus needed alone time. And what do they do? Like children, they follow him because they don't care about Jesus's needs. They only care about their own. Now, Here's the thing. He was probably escaping for one of two reasons. It doesn't tell us in the text why he was getting away, but here's what it comes down to is either one, he was grieving. He had just found out John was killed. And it's mourning is okay. Mourning is biblical. So it's quite possible that Jesus left, that he needed alone time to grieve and mourn the loss of his friend, his family member. Or it's possible that Jesus realized, hey, wait, if they went for John, they'll go for me and I need to figure out what to do. Either way, what we know is that Jesus needed some time alone. The crowds follow Jesus 
And now here's the thing. We, it's not hard to imagine that Jesus is probably tired, maybe grieving, maybe feeling a bit overwhelmed. But instead of getting bitter or angry when he arrives to the shore, it's like Jesus has a different level. How many of you, when you're tired or, or maybe overwhelmed, that when somebody comes and asks something from you, you might give a little less than kindness to them? Am I, am I the only one who does that, right? And, and what Jesus does is Jesus, when he arrives on the shore, he's tired, he's maybe grieving, maybe overwhelmed, and instead of showing anger or bitterness or complaining, he does something different. When Jesus lands, and this is the, the J, JVS, Jason Version, Standard Version, it's a, it's a thing. When Jesus lands, he finds the crowds having followed him there. And instead of getting angry or bitter or complaining about how selfish all of these people are, he looks out on them and he has compassion. It's like Jesus has a different level. Even when he's tired, he has more to give. He can be generous even when he feels like he's depleted. And he goes and heals their sick. Now, why does he do this? Because Jesus is the word become flesh. He is the embodiment of God because he is God. He is the fullness of God revealed. Jesus is showing us God's heart, a generous heart. That even when Jesus is being totally depleted, he still has love to give and generosity. To be fully man, Jesus had to limit his goodness Yet his human limitation, his godhood, sorry, Jesus had to limit his godhood, yet his human limitation did not limit his God-sized heart and character. No matter how stressed out Jesus was, was, he was always able to draw from a different well. Now, last week, we talked about the wells. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, you can go online. I'll move this a little bit so people out here can see it. See, now we all have wells to drink from. Jesus only had one well. It was the well of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have a sin nature. And so he, yes, he could get angry, but he always drew from the one well, the one source, which is his Godhood. It is the God nature and it's that filling of the Spirit within us. And so even when he was tired, he was able to give love and mercy and grace and compassion. But here's the problem. We don't have just one well. You and I have two wells, don't we? We have one. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit and you can draw from that, but it, it's hard. But most of us, what we draw from is this dirty water, which is anger and bitterness and rage and malice and complaining and all the things. And when people press into us and our sponges squeeze, what usually comes out? Jesus showed compassion because he didn't have this side to deal with. Now, here's what I want you to hear. We actually have the capacity because of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit in you. But here's what I want you to hear. I need you to hear. When your sponge gets squeezed, if what comes out is not the love of God, not compassion and mercy, the only way that you can do that is you need to spend daily time. Every day you need to go to the well of the living water. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And if you're not drinking from the well of Christ, if you're not drinking from the well of the Holy Spirit in your life, it's no wonder that when we're tired, overwhelmed, that what usually comes out is not Jesus. And so we read this story and here's what ends up happening. See, for us, when our sponge is squeezed, where Jesus showed love, we might show bitterness. Seriously? Can't you just give me five minutes? And, and who can blame us? And instead of showing mercy, we show judgment. 
You wouldn't be in this situation if you just stopped doing X or Y or Z. And instead of showing mercy to people in need, we're very quick to judge, which is the wrong well coming out. Instead of kindness, maybe you show harshness. Instead of gentleness, you show hardness. And as I was reading this text, I was confronted with my own hardness, my own times when, when sometimes life gets hard, what usually comes out sideways, it's because I've not been spending the time with the right source. I've not been drinking from the right well. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? And Jesus shows us in this story that even though he's depleted, he has more to give. And, and let me be clear. This is not a conversation in saying that you shouldn't have boundaries. Jesus had boundaries. Boundaries are good, but here's what's important in this. Sometimes we use boundaries as an excuse to ignore blessing. Sometimes God is saying, Jason, you need, I, I realize you're tired and you need some alone time, but I'm asking you in this moment, not every moment, in this moment, I need you to set that boundary aside because I want to be a blessing. And that's hard. Because the truth is, every single one of us has multiple people pawing at our time, at our resources. Would you agree with that? It's, sometimes it's a good thing. It's my children. It's my wife. It's my job. Those are not bad things. But when I'm depleted, sometimes I'm like, I just don't have it. And that's why it's not bad. Jesus withdrew for a reason. But never, we should never let boundaries rob opportunities for blessing. Does that make sense? And it's a thin line, and you know that. As you grow in the Holy Spirit, that's what helps you discern whether I need to step into this or not. You know, at one point, the disciples, and Jesus actually said this, the poor you will always have with you. There's always going to be people who need something from you. It's not your job to fix every need. But as you listen to the Spirit, as you grow in relationship with the Spirit, you begin to realize this is something God is calling me into. How many of you have ever had that moment where you knew God was calling you to step into a moment? Jesus in this moment realized that yes, he was overwhelmed, he was tired, he was grieving, but he saw the needs of the people. And this is what he says. It says, as he looked out, he saw that they were like a sheep without a shepherd. What overflowed in that moment was compassion. Now the disciples have a little bit of a different response. Now it says this, as evening approached, this is verse 15, um, this means that Jesus has been going all day. Like he's been giving and giving and giving and giving. How many of you have ever found yourself in a meeting or in a situation where you were already wanting to be done? Some of you right now are like, Jason, I'm already wanting to be done. Can, can you get this thing, move, move the train along, buddy? <laughs> but if you've ever found yourself in a meeting or a situation at your job where you want it to be done, but it always seems there's still someone or something that needs more from you. Pastor Derek said, that's every meeting, Jason. <laughs> What if, what if as we're growing in the spirit, as God is awakening us to new things, it's maybe God is saying, Jason, are you willing to step into the path of generosity by giving just a little bit more? And I'm not telling you what, that, what to give there. Again, it's so much more than just money. 
The disciples come to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, here's the thing. This is, the disciples are like, Jesus, you're tired. We're tired. We've only got a, we've only got a few things to eat here. Send the people away. Let them, let them just be done already, Jesus. And, and here's the thing. There's a huge assumption going on. See, in the ancient world, 90% of people were in severe poverty. What I mean by severe poverty is not, well, I've only got one pair of shoes or only I live in a one bedroom apartment and I've only got a hundred dollars in my bank account. No, I'm talking the kind of poverty that if you don't work, you don't eat. They were living hand to mouth every day. 90% of people were in severe destitution and poverty. And when the disciples say, we're tired, you're tired, Jesus, send them away to go buy some food. There's a huge assumption that they have money to buy food. And Jesus looks out, and this is the part that blows me away. Jesus looks at them, and, and before all this, they'd spent all this time seeing Jesus do miracles, but Jesus was the one who did the miracles. Jesus rose people from the dead. Jesus healed the blind. Jesus did it. And Jesus looks at them, and he says, no, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. That's what? I mean, I get it, Jesus. If you want to give them something to eat, you, you're God, or you're Jesus. You can do something miraculous. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, no, I want you to feed them. And here's where I've heard this sermon before where people are like, see, the problem is they just had a scarcity mindset. They weren't needing to feed 10 people or a dozen or just dozens or maybe 100 people. Thousands of people needed food and there were 12 disciples and they looked among them and they said, we have five loaves and two fish. That's not a scarcity mindset. That's a resource mindset. You guys tracking with me? Because I could sit down and go, okay, there's 36 of us. We've got 12 or five loaves. I give them a little bit. That's a human way of fixing a problem. And that's what most of us do. We stretch the dollars, so to speak, right? And Jesus looks at him and says, no, no, you go and do it. And I can picture them for a moment going, um, okay, we know, you know you're, you're God. You can do that. But we're, we're not God. We can't do that. We don't know how to do this. Now, there's a tip that I was given years ago when reading scripture. The best way, if you want to get the most out of the Bible, is put yourself in the story. I want you to imagine for a second, you're one of Jesus' disciples. And Jesus has just said, well, there's possibly 15,000 people here. Jesus looks at you and said, no, don't send them away. You feed them. What would be going through your mind? I can tell you what would be going through my mind. Uh-uh. I don't have that, Jesus. That's, that's not possible. Now, here's the difference between Jesus and them. Jesus wasn't just another man. He was God become flesh. He understood all the eternal resources that the Father in heaven had. The disciples didn't, and it's understandable why they didn't. Yes, they had a scarcity mindset, but it was a, it's a reasonable scarcity. Would you agree with that? Would anybody here blame somebody for saying, that seems insurmountable? And so when they take the bread, they're, they're realizing it's, they're coming in and here's, I said this last week and I want to say it again. Our limitations do not change God's expectations. What I mean by that is this, is that when God has called us to do something, we have no idea how God wants to use that resource, that generosity to do something more. Our limitations do not change God's expectations. And when we see that, we'll begin to realize that what God is calling us to do is to be faithful. I'm not in charge of the outcome. God is. I'm in charge of the faithfulness. Does that make sense? You do not have any control of the outcome of your generosity, but you do have control of your faithfulness to it. And so as we look at this, they take what little they have, 
And they go and they begin to feed. Now, there's the scarcity mindset that we talk about is a real thing. And, and sometimes what scarcity of, of mindset really is, is when you're so focused on what you don't have, you miss out on what you do have. And there's all kinds of psychological reviews on this. There's Forbes magazines has articles about it. Psychology Today. I mean, they've done tons of research on scarcity and how it affects us. This is from an article in Psychology Today. What happens to our minds when we feel we have too little? Now, again, this isn't just about money. It could be too little time, too little gifts, too little love, too little compassion. Think of all the ways that you can be generous. It's, it's, we're called to be generous with every aspect of our life. How does the context of scarcity shape our choices and our behaviors? It's more than physical limitation. It affects our thoughts and feelings. It orients the mind automatically and powerfully towards unfulfilled needs. So in other words, if you're hungry, if you don't feel like you have enough food, what do you focus on? Food. If you are struggling with money, money becomes everything. If you're struggling with loneliness, if you have a scarcity of relationships, all you fixate on is what relationships you don't have. The point is, is this at the root of scarcity is fear. And if you, I want to give you a helpful tip. If you were to break down the word scarcity into two words, scare city. It is living, dwelling in a place, the city of fear and uncertainty, scare. Some of you in this room are living, dwelling in a city of fear because all you can see is what you don't have instead of how God has blessed you. All you can see is the things, the lack of what you have instead of what God has given you. Now, while there are a lot of articles out there from a non-Christian perspective on how to get past a scarcity mindset, every one of them has the same thing in common. They start from the same place and they lack the same thing. See, what the world wants you to hear is, if you want to get past a scarcity mindset, it starts with you. You just need to change your mindset. I hate to tell you this, but changing my mindset does not put more money in my bank account, more relationships around me, more food in my fridge. Mindset doesn't change that, does it? But the biggest thing they lack is a God in heaven who is the owner of a, ca a cattle on a thousand hills. The God who owns everything. The God who is bigger and more generous than you can imagine. See, we don't need more positive thinking. Jesus didn't say to the disciples, hey, just put good vibes out there and think good thoughts. Instead, Jesus takes the food, and this is what he said. He said, bring them here to me, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Now, one of the Gospels actually says that there was plenty of grass. It's meant to be an ironic statement that there's a lack of food, but plenty of grass which you can't eat. And what does Jesus do? Jesus then takes the food, he gives thanks for it, and offers it. What if... What if the thing that's getting in the way of you experiencing God's generosity is first offering, surrendering all of your resources, your emotional resources, your relational resources, yes, your financial resources, your gifts, your talents. And then the second part is your thanks, gratefulness. What if those are the first steps to God doing some awesome things in your life? There's a reason why we must have a grateful heart, a thankful heart, the fact that I'm living and breathing, I should be grateful for. The fact that I live in our country, I should be grateful for. 
The fact that we have freedom, I should be grateful for. The fact that I'm saved, that Jesus has rescued me, I should be grateful for. Now I surrender all that God has given me and I say, this is yours. He then gave them to the disciples. He gave the food to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, I didn't say this first service, but there's a reason why 12, the 12 baskets represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was God's way of saying, hey, Israel, you missed out on the fact that I've been generous to you. Israel didn't see God's generosity. They were constantly living in a scarcity mentality instead of living in the abundance of what God had for them. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. All of these people ate. All of them. And then there was leftovers. How many of you would love to see God's generosity so overflow in your life that you don't just have a little bit of leftover, you have a lot left over? You must put yourself in the path of a generous God. Now, there's some things here that are important for us because we have a generous king. Money sometimes might be the mode, the vehicle for generosity, but it's not the heart of generosity. When money is the tool, all that is is philanthropy. You don't have to be a Christian to be philanthropic, to, go, to use your resources, your money in that sense. It's the heart that matters. And what God wants to get a hold of is your heart. When your heart is generous, you begin to see everything in your life as an opportunity to bless others and to be faithful to the Lord. I can't tell you how many times that I've sat with people and sometimes the most generous thing I can give them is time, a listening ear. It's sitting at a lunch across from a friend and them taking time from their job so that we can just connect. And maybe we're not even having a hard conversation. Maybe it's just to be in relationship. Sometimes it's that, that subtle act of love and compassion when somebody is feeling caught in shame and sin and you tell them, hey, I, you're not defined by your sin. You're not defined by your mistake. That's an act of generosity. Compassion. Jesus, notice the first generous act Jesus did was he showed compassion. We want to be a people who live in that. Now, there's another part to this. See, there was an experience and an encounter that took place in this story as well. Most of the people had an experience. Out of the thousands, some of them probably didn't even know that there was a miracle that took place. And just because I know human natures, I can almost guarantee you there were complainers in the midst. Fish again? Ugh. Right? I can picture some people getting there and they're like, oh, I really wanted sourdough. Oh my gosh. Like, I kind of picture that. I mean, can't you? You get something. God is, they've just blessed them. Instead of having to go buy food with money they didn't have, they get, they get fish, they get bread. And I can picture some of them going, I don't like snapper. I wanted the sea bass, right? Like that's what I picture because that's what humans do. When you're living in an experience, it's easy to be judgmental about it and not satisfied with it. But you know who had an encounter was the disciples, they had to leverage their resources and watch what God would do with their resources. Do you think that their lives were changed after that moment? I guarantee you they were. How do I know that? Because this group of men and women, we don't read a whole lot about the women, but we know they're there. They went out to surrender their entire life. The most generous act you can do is to, to give your life. Every single one of the disciples, the apostles, 11, actually 11 out of the 12 ended up dying a martyr's death. You want to talk about generosity. Only one didn't die, and it wasn't because someone didn't try to kill him. It was John. Different, not John the Baptist, John the Apostle. They tried to kill him, but he didn't die, so he got exiled. 
Generosity awakens generosity. And we need people who want to have an encounter with Jesus. Jesus showed different kinds of generosity. He was generous with his time, his love and compassion, his energy, his gifts, his mercy, and his kindness. The greatest limitation to our generosity is not our resources. Let me say that again. The greatest limitation to your generosity is not your resources. It's your heart and faith in God's provision and character. That's the limitation. Because God can use anything. We believe God is awakening us as a church, a community, to the call and power of generosity. Acts 20, 35 says this, It is better to give than to receive. We want to live and act and love like Jesus. We want to be a church who is awakened to being a generous church. Amen? That was, by the, that was the weakest amen I've heard in a long time. Like, Amen, Jason. Yes, we want it. No, we, this is something that we believe that God is stirring up in our community. That we want to be a church who models generosity with the world around us, not just in here, but outside of here. What's crazy is that there are non-Christians that are going out and doing incredibly generous things and they don't even have Jesus. Wow, how much more should that challenge us to be, to be awakened, to be a generous people who are loving our city on fire for Jesus, giving above and beyond, not for the glory of Zion, not for our glory, but for the glory of a King of kings and Lord of lords who died on a cross and surrendered everything. God is awakening something within us. He wants us to be generous with our time and energy, our love, our blessings, grace, mercy, and justice, forgiveness, compassion, gratefulness, gifts, talents, and resources. The kind of gener generosity that only comes with surrender and gratefulness. What if our focus was less on building up programs and more on building up people that by pouring and investing into our people and our community, we can go out and be the hands of a generous king? This is what we believe God is doing. I want to share a video with you. See, we've been talking about this Tove thing. Some of you might be sick of hearing it, but, you know, Tove means we don't want to just do good. We want to bring God's goodness into the world. And here's the best part is we're actually, we're not following anymore. We're actually starting to lead in a trend that God has been moving and stirring. And I want to show you a video of a young man from Walker, Minnesota. If you're not familiar with Walker, it's a pretty small community, maybe a little smaller than ours. A friend of mine was this man's pastor. He got to do a video interview on today. Check out this example of a man living in generosity and showing tove. Would you stand with me? We want to be a generous church. Now, you'll notice, first of all, did you see what his ultimate goal was? He wants to start a church where people can experience Jesus ultimate generosity. I love the water slide. That's our next capital campaign. Um, I loved that scene where he met with that man and said, hey, you want to be best friends for a day? Generosity. We get to be a generous community, a community, and that's what God is calling us to. I want to share one last thing. Um, so the last month or so, I've been really feeling like the Lord's been giving me a picture of some things that are going on at Zion. And God's doing some really cool things. Some of the evidence of that is the number of new people that have been coming and checking us out and lives being transformed. And, and so I, I've been kind of praying and seeking the Lord and saying, okay, God, what's going on? And this is the picture that I felt like the Lord was giving me is that as a church, um, again, often because I'm from San Diego, the ocean was kind of a part of my life. It's like a wave. And here's the thing with waves, okay? 
There's a point in which the wave is going to break and that's where all the power and the fun comes from. It's in the breaking of the wave that you get to surf the wave or body surf or bodyboard. That's where the power. And we're at this place where it feels like Zion's on the point where that tip's about ready to happen, where the wave's going to crash. But there's another option that can happen. And it happens too often in churches and in our lives is that God wants to move us into that next space, into that new realm, that, that moment of breakthrough of where the power comes from. But sometimes the wave just does this. It goes here and instead of breaking, it just goes down. If you've ever been to the ocean, you know what I'm talking about. And so I asked the Lord when I was in Florida a couple weeks ago, I said, okay, God, how do, what do we need to do to, to get over that wave? What do we need to do to get through to that breakthrough, that point of that breaking point where we can see it's no longer just talking about movement, that we're seeing it because we're seeing pockets. Where does the crash begin? And what I heard the Lord say was this, it's not in a new program. It's not in a sermon. It's not through a worship experience. It's an encounter with me. And I felt like the Lord said, Jason, I want you to fast. And I spent about a week and a half, two weeks talking with people I trust. And I felt like the Lord is saying, Jason, I want you to invite your, the church family, the community to be a part of this. Now, here's what I want you to hear. You do not have to participate. But if you're sitting here going, Jason, I want to join with you in this. I want to invite those of you who feel called to join me in a time of fasting. Now, the week of Holy Week, which is not this week, but the week after, I'm going to start on Monday. We already had planned for a, a, a community-wide fast on Wednesday. Some of you might say, hey, I want to do that. I'm not even going to tell you what to fast from. I'm not going to say fast from food all day. If you've got medical issues and you're like, Jason, I can't fast. Like I want to, but I can't do food. I can't fast from that because that'll cause more harm to my body. I want, if you feel called to do this, seek the Lord, ask God and say, God, I want to seek you. I want an encounter with you. This is one of the things that the Bible calls us to is fasting is an opportunity for dependence on Jesus. And you know what's going to move us? What's going to break that wave so that we move into that new power? I don't know about you. I want you to look at every empty seat. We're pretty full right now. I want to see every seat filled, but not from people coming from other churches. I want to see people who are experiencing God's goodness, his tov. I want to see a community set on fire, a community impassioned, emboldened, filled with what God has done and calling us to move out to the city. Do you want that? Well, I believe what God is calling us to do is that what's going to make us go to that next stage is not a new program. It's Jesus, a community seeking the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to invite you, if you want to join me, at any point, you can join me. Now, starting on Monday, I'm going to begin, not this Monday, the following Monday, Holy Week. I'm going to post on Facebook and share kind of the journeys and some devotional encouragement. And you don't have to fast to watch it. But if you feel like maybe God is saying, I need to be a part of that, I want to invite you to this fast to see breakthrough, to see new power come in our church. We're going to come and worship a little bit. And I'm going to, after a few minutes, Derek's going to come and close us. But can I just tell you, I'm so proud of our community. I'm so proud of who we are becoming, the kind of church we are becoming. The work that God is doing is because of your faithfulness, because of your heart to want to love and follow Jesus. And I am honored to be your pastor and your friend and to call you my brothers and sisters. Thank you for being my church. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.